0: Boom. Reactive. What's up, everyone? No, I don't like that. <clears throat> What's up, everyone? And welcome to The Sidebar, where we double-click on everyday topics and thoughts, but more importantly, get a chance to hear ourselves talk.
1: So if our first two episodes were, let's say, the ghosts of jobs past, the ghost of jobs present, episode three of three will be the ghosts of jobs yet to come.
0: That's right. We talk about what we consider our dream job to be and offer some career advice to not only ourselves, but to those listening or might be starting the workforce.
1: And interestingly, it's been four months since we recorded these three episodes. We're recording this intro four months uh, after we recorded those. And as we've edited them and gone back and listened to them, I think we've learned a lot and learned a lot from ourselves and the advice that we're, that we're giving in these episodes.
0: Yes, it's interesting to go back and see what we said then and see if anything has changed because I'm actually at that juncture right now. Um, so it's it's nice to be reminded and see if anything has evolved.
1: And same, I'm just now starting to sort of trickle back into some regular jobs and to step back and remember what's important and what I thought when when I wasn't doing anything, what I thought was the priority. It's nice to go back and listen to what we were saying when we had clearer heads rather than now when everything's sort of moving quickly right in front of us.
0: And have a lot more gray hairs to to talk about, at least on my end.
1: Oh yeah, four months, a lot went gray. So thank you for making it this far. This really was a labor of love and something neither one of us had done before. It, it was an interesting process to go through. So we hope you've enjoyed it. And if you're here on episode three, I guess you enjoyed the first two. And we'll so, pay you later. Yeah, so we hope the third one measures up. <laughs> I like that we had a little bit of extra time before this episode versus recording last weekend. I feel like I, I've read some things and relaxed a bit this week in some ways that I feel like will affect what I would have said last weekend compared to now.
0: It's not the typical like, oh, let's spend... More time, and then you end up just cramming for it like everything else in life. Right. Like I might have done.
1: You crammed for this?
0: Well, you know, this is this is a hard subject for me in general, so...
1: What, what is the subject? To what subject are you referring?
0: What is a dream job?
1: So, So this is episode three. In the grand scheme of things, with this podcast, it was sort of like past, present, and future. So this is episode three the future and ideally it lets us explore a little bit within ourselves but the the takeaway is maybe from someone to see what people in both of our situations on sort of the two sides of being gainfully employed versus being self-employed what those differences are and, and what potential looks like what success looks like so i think we should go back and the first question the one I emailed to you, is sort of... Is there something else I can help with? (laughs) No, there's not, Siri. Not cutting that out. I think even though this episode is technically about the future, the first question in my email to you is sort of a present day question about our our current jobs, but I think we need to answer that to be able to paint the picture for that. We need to lay the foundation. And so that first question is, what makes a job enjoyable and sub question, what are your favorite elements of a quote, regular day, end quote, of your current job right now?
0: Yeah, I would say that, so I wrote down for the sub question of what is enjoyable in your regular day, quote unquote, my first response is hard question, exclamation point. But to answer your first question, I would say that what makes my job enjoyable is the people. I've often said that I could be doing somebody's taxes or something mundane, but as long as I'm with the, my team and the people at my company, um, I could get by on a day to day basis. I just think the cultural culture is great. I would also say that what makes my job enjoyable is really just making my clients happy. I just I feel like in a nutshell, just serving the client and just seeing their relief when things get done, and seeing our impact of making their accounts, their programs, their initiatives better and more efficient. I think at the end of the day is is what I like.
1: As an outsider to your career, your industry, it's really easy for me to like put my my finger on like commercial real estate as just like the most heartless just transactional like we buy buildings and then rent them to people or whatever. Like Compared, compared to what I do, where I'm telling someone's story and helping an organization fundraise. Like, it's so easy for me to just paint with a broad brush and say, like, okay, commercial real estate, how can you love what you do? Like, what part of that is fun or exciting? But last time, you sort of blew me away with the realization that how well you do your job, the way you do your job, will have a direct impact on the franchisee's family and putting them in a better location means that they could be more lucrative, that they can earn more, more money and support their family, give back to the community, have some financial freedom. And that's directly a result of the decisions that you make. And it it reframed everything for me. And it really quickly put things in perspective as far as like, there's a lot that even at, I feel like corporations can be stigmatized of like, oh, corporate America. And sure, there's greed and, and problems, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done and that can be done altruistically and with a, with a genuine concern for the community and for the world. Um, And so I don't, I I don't think I would say I needed to hear that from you, (laughs) but I was really surprised and, and excited to hear that because I think that humanized the idea of commercial real estate to me more than I, I would have gotten to on my own.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think another example most recently is that like anytime there's really, you know, a big like natural disaster or something that's affected the community and uh, something that Tide does, they offer something called Loads of Hope and it is offering free laundry and dry cleaning to those in need. Um, mainly, it, it's usually first responders. This most recent one in Houston was to anybody affected, really in any, like Dallas, Austin, all of it. And it's just a trickle-down effect of me helping find their locations provides more places to help the community, provides more jobs, and provides more community outreach opportunities like that, so.
1: And more love and more happiness. That's right. As, as cliche as it is, like I, I've seen the the loads of hope vehicles like when i worked for that cnn company they worked with companies like tide to bring those sort of tours and mobile like those trailers full of washing machines and stuff like they helped manage all those and the logistics of it and so i'm, I'm familiar with it and you can you can see the impact it has when it shows up when it's needed yeah um and that's pretty cool it's not nothing
0: what makes uh your job enjoyable
1: i did a thing a couple years ago maybe maybe we just had a pandemic uh we're sorry we're in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> we're recording this on thursday march 11th which is one year to the day after my last in-person meeting without masks and stuff like that so when i say last year i mean 2019 i don't mean the previous year of sitting around my house but last year i had done some some def- professional development one of the exercises was as a, a solopreneur or whatever you want to call me a one-man ban for my whole company, go through, it was like, make a list of absolutely everything you do, everything that it takes to run a company. And I just made this exhaustive list down to like, I have to buy stamps so that I can send, I have to buy envelopes and I have to address them. And I have to maintain a database of addresses that I can send tax forms to the the contractors that work for me i have to buy hard drives and make sure that my hard drives are formatted and like there's all these little mundane things and i took the time to like just dump everything that i do like walk through every project and like every button that i push to make boom work and then from there to step back and say okay what of this do i like it was four questions. And, and this was interesting to me, like make a quadrant things that you like and you're good at things that you don't like doing, but you're good at. Hmm. And then things you like doing, but you're bad at. And then things you don't like doing and you're bad at and, and put things into this, this grid. And I found that for me, anything money like taxes and find it like I am bad at that and I hate that. And so that's where I hire people to do those things for me, but the stuff that I love and that I'm really good at is editing. And when I have just a, a dump of footage of someone sifting through it and finding a story in it and finding the elements of that, that I think make it more relatable than it could be. Otherwise Um, Jesse will tell you, there's times where like I get stressed out a little bit and it can be overwhelming when I'm like sitting down with four hours of footage to make a three and a half minute video. And I have to find that perfect three and a half minutes in the right order of these little pieces. And there's always a moment where I emerge from my computer and I just say, I'm really, really good at this. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, it's cool to have that feeling and to know like it clicks at a point of like, oh, okay, this piece goes here, this piece goes here. Oh yeah, it's coming together. And like, you can just sort of feel that. And so there's that flow in the edit that i savor and that makes even the most mundane of projects like when i start to find these pieces that that fit together the way i want them to fit together that's what that's what i really enjoy doing on the on the the micro level i think on the macro level we talked about last time i like being able to tell stories for companies that i know these videos are going to go places and help them raise more money or help them find new customers or sort of help train their employees to make things safer or something you know there, there's a lot of little benefits to each video that I do and, and cool things you get to see doing video. I mean, like, you know, from traveling, there's places you get to go and see an experience that you don't get otherwise. And, and especially when you're going in with the lens of what you're looking for for these locations. And when I'm going in looking for a story, it's different than I would walk into a city on vacation or something like that. And there's always a, a cool little layer of things that I find that I don't think I would have if it weren't for this job. So. I think that's what makes my job my day-to-day enjoyable.
0: And doing that matrix, which is sounds like a fantastic idea. I needed to do that myself. Was there anything like surprising in it? Like was it in your matrix was one side more weighted than the other
1: or was it pretty evenly dispersed? Oh, that's a good question. I think it probably looks like it's weighted more toward the negative just because like I would put like editing as one thing and then because of my attitude i would be like preparing taxes gathering my returns (laughs) getting like i broke it down into 55 different little things that i hate uh so there's 55 things in that box versus one that i probably could have dissected a little bit further yeah um but the idea of what do i what am i good at that i do not enjoy was another whole thing to explore of like yeah that is a part of this job and there's stuff that even though I don't enjoy it I know I'm good at it and I also know like I wouldn't trust someone else to do it. I think that's one of the interesting things between you and I and what I'm interested in with like what does the dream job look like at your current? The next question is what is your dream implementation of your current job? What does that look like? And you have some control to say like, well, that's not my job. I don't, but I could say I could hire someone to do that, but And I have to like, I'm giving up some of my money and I'm always in that place of like, well, I could learn to do that myself and save 50 or $1,500 or whatever, but I would hate it. And so always choosing, when do I do that? When do I not do that is always is something that I have to face all the time. And I don't know if you have that luxury slash chore
0: well, you're, you're making me out to sound like I'm the CEO of the company and I can dictate everything that I do on a daily day basis.
1: No, I I, I don't mean you're the, the CEO, but because you're not the CEO, there are things that you don't do. There are things that you pass off to other departments and stuff like that. And so I guess the, sort of the other way to look at it is, are those things that you are bad at and don't enjoy? Are there things that other people do that you're like, man, I wish I could do that? Or like, I would be really good at that piece of it. Like... Are there elements of your job that you don't get to do or that you wish you, you didn't have to do?
0: Yeah, you're only allowed to do what your client pays you to do. You know, if, if they want me to pay their bills or reconcile their portfolio, like they'd have to hire somebody else in our department to do that. So there definitely is constraints to that. With that said, I, I feel like I've always gone a little bit above and beyond of what the client is asking just because it's technically the right thing to do. But I think that there's a little bit of a, volume to that you know after a while it's it's like okay i'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of overdoing my uh, graciousness here but i mean I, I think what i like about my favorite part is that my my answers are a little bit more abstract i think uh, in the fact of like any day could be different and tomorrow what i did today is not going to be what i do tomorrow it's not like a clear yeah. path of because you're just reacting to what your client's doing And I think that any, anything, if I were to go through that matrix, like what I like or what I feel like I'm good at always revolves around working with people, the team meetings, talking to the clients, talking to the franchisees, talking to people within the company. So I think anything that I would do would be around, like I would never, I don't, I could not work by myself, I guess is the easy answer.
1: Yeah, I get that. And I I guess that's one of those things that fits into my, I don't like it, but I'm good at it where there's a lot of this job that is really, really lonely. Um, like there's just stuff that you like before a client can even lay eyes on a project, there's hours and hours of work that I have to do. And as a rule of thumb, every hour that I spend with a client, like filming something or, you know, doing revisions, there's two to three hours of other work that goes into prepping to get to that moment, to, to you know, preparing footage, to preparing cameras, to film and stuff like there's so much that goes behind the scenes where Yeah. As, as fun as it can look from time to time, it's like people who want to be a chef and it's like, Oh, I just want to, I just want to be the famous chef and people know me for my dishes and my, my fusion of flavors. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of washing dishes (laughs) to get there. It's not just fanfare and debuts and restaurant openings. Like there's bills, there's all this other stuff that goes to making that happen. And at a point you have to enjoy it. Right. Because if, if you don't, you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to enjoy the job because it's a huge part of the job, but recognizing that there are places where you can hand work off, I think is essential for, for making it as a, as a solopreneur, as a business owner in this modern day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I, I've always thought and also have said that like, I want to have, be surrounded by a lot of people. I want to have a big team. I want to manage a big group of people because I, I like that connection. I like mentoring. I like whatever. But that comes with doing more one on one meetings and more year end reviews and goal setting and tough conversations if things are going bad. And those are all things that I dread and I'm not good at. So it's yeah. it's definitely. Um, what you
1: dread and you're not good at it like a performance review. You don't think you're good at that?
0: No, because I, I overthink it. Even if I'm giving a good review, I feel like I beat around the bush and get like nervous and just know like being the recipient of it, of reviews, I like when the person giving it is giving a lot of attention to it and put a lot of thought and energy into it. And so I have high expectations for what I'm putting into the review. And most gotcha. of the time I feel like I am not doing a good job.
1: Well, <laughs> Well, taking this whole thing of what we like and don't like, about our current gigs the the sort of fork in the road question is given all this what is your dream job and if your dream job isn't your current job as a separate question what is sort of the dream implementation of your current job like how what's what's next at your company for you what is what is the perfect perfect cushman employee position for Shannon
0: yeah i think this is where it gets hard cuz i you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got into this job. And I feel like a lot of the great opportunities that have happened for me is because I, I just say yes to everything and I keep my eyes open and I'm just willing to, to try new things. I would say most of the time my answer is, my dream job is like community involvement, working with high school students, doing some sort of, I've had a phase where I wanted to be a guidance counselor. That still kind of circles around me. I know that there's a lot of work that goes into having to be qualified for that. So I probably have missed a boat on that one, but it's oh, never too late. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, who knows? Like that's, that's what I think now, but I'm listening to Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. And me too.
1: Yeah. What do you think? I'm like 15% of the way in. I'm still just barely scratching the surface of his past. I just learned about his dad and his bird. Oh <laughs> Yeah. No spoilers for our listeners. Are you listening to
0: it? or Are you reading it?
1: I'm listening to it. Dreamy Which voice. Which I'm normally I'm I'm normally not an audiobook guy. I prefer reading, but I just knew since they were all these personal stories that hearing his voice tell it would be so much better, and I was right.
0: Yeah, his, and his like the way he structured it and his inflections. I mean, it's it's pretty good. It's yeah, interesting. It's
1: been enjoyable so far anyways.
0: Uh, So a a part that you'll get to is the whole process of figuring out who you are. And, you know, his revelation is in order to figure out who you are, you need to figure out who you're not. And so I'm trying, I feel like I'm, that's something that I should put work into to, you know, maybe rule all those things out in order to define, have a clearer path to what I do want to do and what a dream job is. And that's kind of how I've uh, approached all the previous jobs. And I've known when I did wedding videography, like that's not for me. Let's move on kind of thing.
1: But you, but you got to taste it to know.
0: Right. Right. So taking that community involvement kind of idea, I think a dream job for what I'm currently doing is somehow giving more community involvement into what we're doing at Cushman. And I think an example of that could be more pro bono work. Well, actually we don't do any pro bono work. So it would be really cool if that could be a possibility. I think there's a lot of probably red tape that goes through with that, but you know, taking our skills to help specifically our, our St. Louis community, I think would be really cool. And yeah.
1: It's it's funny you say that because that's my, that's like the dream implementation, implementation of my job as well. And I, I was thinking about this, like what sparked this question was what we were talking about in the second episode. And I was thinking, like what do I want to do and you know how do I charge and things like that and ideally I would love to be earning so much income not so much that that's sounds excessive I'd love to be earning enough income from owning content that I can do free work for places that need it or heavily discounted and still find ways to pay my my contractors and, and like just do a whole bunch of work where I don't have to worry about asking these organizations to, you know, bend over backward to pay for it because there's a whole lot of people doing great stuff that they, they would benefit from good video, but they just can't afford it. And right now it's a game of finding grants and stuff like that. But my dream is to have a children's show. I want to produce a children's show. I do not want to star in it. It's, I don't, I'm not looking to be Mr. Rogers, but we started work on this and we were actually set to film our first episode on, uh, like the first week of April of 2020, Um, and I don't know if you heard what happened, but the world (laughs) shut down. And with the many casualties, the timely implementation of our show uh, was one of them. But the idea is to produce this show and put it on YouTube where it can get a ton of views, where it can get recurring revenue just from the ad revenue where we film these episodes and then they just sit there for years and continue to earn money and that constant stream of income allows us to make more episodes and grow that income stream and give back and find ways to help train people to get into it. Like I love video production and it's such a privilege to be able to do this. And for so many people, like when we go to shoots, it's people who look exactly like me. It's white guys wearing hats that, that do most video production, but it's because you need $25,000 worth of gear to get started you need stuff and if you're historically from a family that has been put down by the system where it's impossible to earn family wealth in the 60s where you weren't allowed to have generational wealth pass from family to family until you know the 60s and 70s and even now it's not like that's easy now even though it's technically possible where it wasn't before there's all these little roadblocks where somebody who is my age from my area but does not look like me could have a real problem having the latitude to create, to have the patience to weather the ups and downs and to have family support when needed and stuff like that. Like That's a huge thing that like, privilege is is such a big part of being a video producer in a lot of cases. Not all the time, but in a lot of cases. And so part of that dream implementation would be to have this show that has momentum, that's earning revenue, and then sort of create an Academy within it of let's work with people who want to get into this, but haven't had the opportunity. Let's make gear available. Let's make opportunities available and let's pair those people with organizations that need cool projects and we can fund all of it through ad revenue from content we own and stuff. And so that's my dream is that I mean, everything I do now, I trade my, my time for money and I've helped film TV shows and stuff and I get paid for that day. And no matter if the show flops or flies, I make the same amount of money. And I would like to be in that position where I could take the risk of making something, knowing that if it becomes successful, I get to share in that success and use that to do the things that I want to do and and the projects that I want to do without having to only work with people that can afford it.
0: So do you feel like you're on track or on on path to to get to this dream job? Or is there something that's in the way?
1: No, I'm absolutely on track. It's not a fast track by any stretch of the imagination. And with COVID, that makes it really, our idea for the show, if you want to, if anyone out there is really interested in, and you don't know about it already, if you're a listener (laughs) of this podcast, the show is called Our Little World. And our concept is to do like the on location segments from Mr. Rogers where they would go to factories and stuff like that. But the the way it worked on Mr. Rogers is they would just have footage of a factory that he would play on his TV in his living room for a group of kids and, like, narrate it. What we want to do is take two, three, four kids to these places and let them ask questions directly to the people running the show and sort of show this two-way street this respect of like these kids have a voice they have interests but then build in the whole social justice piece to it with social issues like for example visiting how the St. Louis area food bank works where not only do we see the machinery and understand the the flow of things but then also there's the message of you know the, the people who receive help from the food bank aren't people who you know there may be a stigma in some families of like oh they are on food stamps or you know whatever they need to go to the, the food pantry to get canned goods and understanding that there's so many factors that could go into why someone needs temporary or long-term assistance. But to start that conversation with kids and open them up to that at the age of, you know, five, six, seven, eight, to start to say, hey, everyone has different things they deal with. Let's talk about it. And, and let's not be afraid of these situations uh, and these conversations. And so that's the goal of the show. And it can still happen. It's just a little bit tough to get people together right now and to go visit food factories, for example. So it's something that will happen. It is not going to happen this summer in its full implementation, but I'm, I'm not deterred. I'm, I'm excited. It's just taken longer than we hoped.
0: We're almost there. Yeah. We're getting there. But you bring up a good point um, and this kind of leads in to your your next question about like if you could change anything about the overall job industry and hopefully this is okay to to kind of segue into that. but I think it kind of pairs to the last question about my answer to that would be to have more transparency to what I do and to the corporate world. I think that there's such a huge divide and this like, barrier that a lot of people in the community, one, they don't know what commercial real estate is. And two, when they think of, you know, working in a high rise or, you know, a corporate office, that's like, that's not me. You know, like I I don't belong there. I, I can never be qualified enough to do that. And what we do is not rocket science. But back to what you were saying, like because of my upbringing and all the great things that I, had growing up and and the fact that my dad knew somebody at this company and it's all about who you know and I I got into it and I would love there to be a change of just bringing more awareness to these opportunities because like you were saying these, these kids have voices they all have talents and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people being underutilized and so I'd love to see that that barrier of Of entry kind of softened a little bit
1: yeah so if if we're if we're dreaming big about how we would change the overall job industry, I think it goes right along with transparency, but hot take, I would get rid of the stock market, I think the stock market allows people to earn money without doing anything, and i think in in the abstract that's fine to invest in companies and if the company goes like that's what it used to be if like a company needed to get started and so you'd a share in that company, and if it became more valuable, so you, so would your share. But now it's just a game of numbers and spreadsheets. But for me, so often people look at my, my day rates and they're like, you know, if, let's say it's $1,000, and they think like, oh man, that must be, you know, we're paying this guy $1,000 to come show up for the day and, you know, fly a drone. That seems like a lot. But I would love to break down without sounding like I'm whining, like, okay, well, first of all, $400 of that is going to the government. That's mm-hmm. not a thousand dollars in my pocket, and of that six hundred, I need to buy a drone. I need to put gas in the car that I'm paying a lease for to drive here. I need like there's so much that comes out of that thousand dollars before any of it makes it into my even food budget to feed my family. And I think if people understood that a little bit better and took the time to to be empathetic to what creative freelancers and and independent contractors in general have to do, I think it would be better. And on the same topic but on on the other side of it when you're paying a giant corporation for something to understand like oh yeah i'm buying this product from say amazon and i'm spending you know i'm I'm buying this product which costs a hundred dollars of that hundred dollars thirty dollars of it is going directly to the ceo's vacation fund <laughs> another twenty dollars is being distributed to shareholders and hedge funds um and people who just move money around and like of the person who actually designed and created the product, like 10 bucks is going to them. And I get that all these different pieces potentially add value and help that original creator find customers and stuff like that. But just that awareness of where your money's actually going and how much, if you knew I'm buying this, knowing that less than half of it's going to the creator and more than half of it is going to somebody who's going to get around paying taxes and just sit on that money somewhere until they start a space program because they're bored that's that's what's what's frustrating to me is you, you see like this money just becomes available and then goes to these places and disappears and the companies have an incentive like they have a not just an incentive but a responsibility like a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders where their job is not like Like what you were saying, it's not to reach out and bring more people in at the risk of not everyone's going to be perfect fit and you'll probably lose some money and waste some time, but you'll do good for the community. You can help more people. You can round things out. The company has no incentive to do that, no responsibility to do that. They have a responsibility to cut expenses and raise profits. And that is what it means to be an American business. And I just find that heartbreaking. And I think it goes a long way to making. A lot of people who are doing good work have a much harder time doing it yeah i mean that's that's how how i change it (laughs) when i wrote that question i didn't know i was going to go into this long of a diatribe about it (laughs) but that concept of so much money going not to the workers who are doing stuff but it's just being siphoned off out of the economy and let to sit somewhere and grow and turn money into more money and it's like dude give me that money and I'm gonna pay a whole bunch of people to do cool stuff. Yeah, I'll keep a little, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's so much we could do to make cool things and to make this country an awesome place to to be successful. But it's it's got to come with some people being nice and being in the right headspace about it. And I really think the next generation is gonna be the ones to do it.
0: Yeah, I I think I also think another easy way to go about it is to just have a lot more paid internships or scholarships or just. This whole big idea of having just more resources to everybody so that they can try new things and get into this job industry and make a living for themselves. Because if you don't have that cushion, it's hard to do anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to skew so hard politically here, but I mean, that's the kind con- like healthcare being tied to your job and stuff like that is such a pain where you don't have the freedom to hop from job to job and try to... And as you're talking about, you know, you like to know if a job is right for you and to be able to do that is nice but there's a lot of people who if they have health issues or something like that you can't just hop to a different job and get new health care from that company like you're limited in what you can do based on yeah that that buffer Mm -hmm. but if that buffer was don't worry about we we have your health care as a country you live here so go for that pursuit of happiness thing we'll take care of the life part of it Um, would be nice and I think that would open doors for people to experiment and try different things and Tiptoe around in some different industries without having to worry about. Hey, what happens if I break a leg? What happens to my family? What happens to To my livelihood. Yeah, for sure. Well, all of this said diatribe included What advice would you give to somebody who let's start with the broad in general? You're talking to somebody who is entering the job market, either entering it for the first time or re-entering it after some work that they didn't find suitable for themselves, whether they wanted it to be long-term or not. Somebody's getting serious. They want a career. What do you tell them?
0: Oh, I have a a bunch of one-liners. I mean, I, I think I've said it 50 different times throughout these last three episodes of being open to anything and everything. Everything's a learning opportunity. Be a sponge. You know, be as versatile as possible. But also, don't try to be someone else. Like I was last week in this debacle of a town hall. I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't, and it and it didn't go well. That you're you're you for a reason, and um, I think you get. Everybody has something to offer, and as long as you kind of hold on to that authenticity, um, I think that the your employer. Even if you're the employer, I guess your clients would be really uh, would benefit from that. And then on like a not as serious note, I would say get a hobby, (laughs) get you know have something interesting to talk about. You know, prepare for that two minute elevator speech of just saying who you are. And I don't know, just having random conversations with people will will help your networking game and get your name out
1: there. Did you have to answer questions, like interview questions in that abstract of like, sell me this pencil?
0: If you could be a color, what color would that be?
1: How many windows are there in New York City?
0: No, I um, I don't really remember any interview that I've ever had because I black out during all of them.
1: <laughs> <Just> overstressed.
0: <laughs> There's been s- several where I'm like, I'm sorry, I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't think there are too many abstract questions, but you interact with a lot of people that um, are probably at different stages of life and different interests, and, and it's always good to have different hobbies and different interests that you can somehow get a common ground and build a connection.
1: I think I going to the one-liners, the, the two that resonate with me are, one, always do your best. But always assume that everyone else is also trying their best. And that's a tough one for me. And that's one that I've been working on for the past couple of weeks. And like, even as I launched into the greedy Wall Street billionaires and blah, 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 I have to pause and, and think that there's so many people who are who I'm vilifying in there that are just trying their best and, and trying to do the right thing. And it's all they know. And it's how they're, they're brought up and it's the world they know. And maybe they came from absolutely nothing and they're worried that it will all be taken away again. And so get as much as you can while you can't like, I don't know that backstory, but if I can get to a place where I understand that everyone is trying their best to do the right thing and I am too, then that's a happy place to be. And I think when you're, as you were saying, like when you start at a new company or something like that, not everyone's going to care about you. Not everyone's (laughs) going to like be trying to help you, but knowing that no one's really trying to shove you down. Like there, there's a lot of opportunity for cooperation and for collaboration. And you have to assume that everyone is trying their best. And even if they, I mean, and understand that even if you try your best all the time, there's days where you just can't do it. There's weeks where you just can't do it. You may even have an off year and knowing that if you're capable of that, then you have to give everyone else a little bit of latitude as well to say, you know, maybe this person never warmed up to me. Never, maybe they never gave me the chance. That could have been for a number of reasons beyond their control. Rather than resent them, put yourself in that mind space of, I really have to trust that they're trying their best to do the right thing. And I feel like that changes my perspective on how I deal with, with different clients and things that annoy me when I stop and think, well, what are they looking out for? What is their... I don't know their family story. I don't know anything about them. There could be some very good reasons to asking these questions that are annoying me and I would be nice to answer them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's good. That's outside of jobs too. That's just a good life skill just to know that you have no idea what the other person is going through and put yourself in their shoes. And I think it'll yeah. do. And not only that, but like don't be so quick to judge what they're doing. And sometimes you have to look inside and In, internally and be like, okay, what what can I do better to avoid this situation or to make this yeah. a better thing?
1: Yeah, even as an exercise to say, let's say this whole thing is my fault, Why? where did I go wrong? Like, yeah, yeah I can say that this wasn't all my fault, but if I force myself to say, okay, this whole thing could have been avoided if I did what? I, I always learn things from that. The second thing I was gonna say is, and as as you and I get older, I'll say, <laughs> we, aren't, we aren't the youngest people in these meetings and stuff anymore. Um, and there was a time when we absolutely were, the fresh faces and stuff like that, and I was always the youngest person in any room, on any set, anything like that. And somebody had, uh, on YouTube, when people ask questions about you know what microphone should I get, I always take the time to answer. And I had a friend uh, buying a whole bunch of gear in Washington, and I helped her for like two hours Pour through which camera was the right camera, which lights are the right lights, what is she doing, which microphones, all this stuff. And she was so grateful and was just blown away that I would do that for her. And I told her like, yeah, this wasn't my idea. Like five people did this exact same thing for me five years ago. And there's still people who take the, t- like this industry is built on experience and we have to share that with each other to help each other out. And so I think that the takeaway for me is to to remember that you're never too young to help people. And I think for a long time I just thought I was this punk kid and so like I wasn't ready to share my expertise and I was still like competitive and stuff. And so quickly like I started working with some high schoolers and some, you know, young graduates and stuff like that. It's like there's so much information that I could share with them that'll make their life better, that'll make their career better. And understanding that you have that power to have a truly positive impact on somebody and their career trajectory is a cool thing to remember and something to, to wield thoughtfully, um, because you, you don't know, I mean, you can think of people that you've bumped into along the way who have had a huge impact on you and people who have taken a minute to help you out when you needed it the most. You remember those things forever and you have the, the opportunity to do that exact same thing for other people too. You just have to take the time to find it.
0: Yeah. Yeah no i I think that that that's huge I mean that's kind of our culture at our work as far as like how we train people that's how somebody trained us, and we pass it on kind of thing we 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 pay it forward and I think what's interesting is no matter how you how much you move up in the company or how old you get, you always can relate to a certain group of people like when you're brand new at a company, you can relate to the people that don't have the jobs when you're when I was two years in i relate i could help those people that were fresh to the company. Now that I'm eight years in, I can really give advice to those people that are at that three to four, five year mark, looking for for experience. Um, but you're right, I mean, we're, we're all busy throughout the day and just you um, sometimes forget that just taking 10 minutes out of your day or even two minutes out of your day to help somebody go makes like the world of difference. And we need to do more yeah. of
1: that. I. I saw this anecdote somewhere that I I really liked where somebody went to a high school reunion or something. I'm going to tell the story with fake names. So Joey is writing about his experience at the reunion and Harold comes up to him and says, hi, I'm Harold. This is my wife. And he says, honey, this is Joey. He was one of the popular kids in high school, but he was the only one that was nice to me. When I read that it was the point of it was people always remember you. Like they, they always remember How you treat them, and if you have that opportunity to care for somebody for a second and to make their life a little easier and to help them out a little bit, they're going to remember that forever, and that kind of karma is going to follow you wherever you go across any company, any career, and across your whole life.
0: Yeah, I I feel like I've heard that too. Maybe I heard it from you, or did you? Did we just read it? It was
1: on Reddit recently. I don't know if you surf Reddit. I As don't. I left all social media, I filled some of that hole with the Reddit, and I'm not proud, but I'm it's wondering fine. if it's from
0: the Nike book,
1: but no, that's, that's great advice. Do you have any books that you would recommend to people if they're contemplating job growth and awareness and, and their career in this? Is there any other than McConaughey's book, apparently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there anything you'd recommend that people look at?
0: I would say I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. One that I'm working through now is multipliers. So it's kind of more for leaders and and managers about don't be a diminisher, be a multiplier. You know, take the time to really let your people grow. And the more you can multiply your team, the the better your life and more efficient you'll be. Liz Wiseman is who writes that. Simon Sinek is always a good one. He he writes uh, Leaders Eat Last. And uh, one more is Lynchpin, which is just kind of the idea of making yourself indispensable.
1: Seth, Seth Godin?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep. Those are three. What are your three? Or what is, what is your one?
1: Oh, that's tough. I would say I really liked the book Alter Egos. I think I talked about that but it was just about identifying different parts of yourself to take into different situations. There's athletes who walk onto the field and they're absolute beasts, but when they go home and they're with their kids, they're obviously not the same person and that's fine. They're bringing different elements Mm -hmm. of themselves. They're being aware of how, who they want to be on the field. And you can do that same thing when you walk into a negotiation, when you walk into a board meeting or when you sit down with a client, before you do that, you can say, who do I want to be? Do I want to be a stern negotiator? Do I want to, you know, stand up for my team here that that was wrong, whatever, put that in your head, but know that it's not you being disingenuous. It's just you choosing what elements of your natural self you're going to bring to a situation in the same way that if you're wrestling around with your nieces and nephews, you're not trying to win every negotiation with like, it's still you. You're not a different person. When you do that, you're just highlighting different elements of yourself and sort of taking the time to recognize what are those elements and which, which of them should you bring to any given situation can go a long way. So I I really liked that book. And I think my favorite book of all time is every tool's a hammer by Adam Savage. I think I talked about that one as well, but just a neat book on the thinking process, the creative process, and it applies beyond just creation, but there, there's so many little anecdotes and one of them that I, I think, Resonates in in some different way. You may have to find how it fits into your life, but he talks about Screws versus glue and when you're putting something together It takes longer to get it right with screws But it usually works better. It's flexible and you can also undo it However, sometimes glue if you don't need to move something again, it's gonna stick something together It's gonna stay exactly where it is, but it'll break if you try to undo it. So depending on what the situation is the decision you make might need to be a solution where it's something more flexible and undoable versus something that you just go quick at because you know you'll never need to change it, so it's not worth taking the time to do these other things. So, just that sort of stuff of like, it makes you think about the way that you make decisions and the why behind it, that I really liked.
0: Do you have a uh, Do you have a screw and a glue stick on your desk to remind you of that? Learning. I have
1: make? the the array of. I feel like you could do an art project on what is on my desk right now Um, running the gamut from obviously hard drives and cameras. I have one, two, three, four cameras sitting on my desk right now, but I also have a roll of bags to pick up after a dog on a walk. Mm. (laughs) Um, So it's just a, it's just a potpourri over here of different things. Um, But no, no screws, no screws here.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to be um, more intentional about, the books that I read, because especially with the self-help books, it's, it's hard. It's so much information and so much content and so many good quotes and excerpts that you can get out of it. And I'd like to think that I've absorbed it and am somehow practicing it every day, but I don't, I don't find myself, um, or at least previously, I, I haven't been Constantly reiterating those one-liners or those lessons. And I need to be better about that.
1: Yeah. Finding a system to take notes on stuff like that would be really helpful for me as well. I'm reading a book right now called how to do nothing resisting the attention economy. I forgot if we talked about this already, but it's resonated with me more than any book I've ever read before. It's just remarkable of how it's tackling what is the problem right now with social media and the overabundance of news? How do we handle it without just like walking away from it and all this stuff. But it's a lot about how we focus and what our attention looks like and how we can control that and be thoughtful about stuff. Um, But it's so good that I'm limiting myself to like three pages a day for that exact reason. Like it's so Mm. dense that I, if I just cranked through it, I would miss so much, and like I have to sit with things, and I like to write in my journal afterwards, and like just to try to get those things to stay a little bit. Because yeah, there's so much powerful stuff that I will just zoom right past it if I don't stop myself.
0: Yeah, well, because the other issue is that I do write the notes, but then I have to remember to go look back at the notes.
1: Yeah, but I guess I think well, part of it is when you write your notes. And this is actually an interesting thing for our jobs discussion, because I, after every job, I write down notes of what went well, what didn't, um, so that way I can hopefully make changes. And even though I I seldom go back and page through it all, the act of reflecting helps it stick in your memory. And so even if you don't go back through your notes, rather than just reading it once, reading it once and then writing it down and thinking about it a little bit is going to have a longer impact on you than not taking notes at all. So, I mean, yeah, going back and reading those notes will help even more, but it goes a long way just to, to reflect a tiny little bit on this stuff.
0: Yeah. So my, my half finished moleskins that I have laying around the apartment were, were not a waste.
1: Yeah. (laughs) At least I hope they're not because that means that would mean that mine are too. And, (laughs) and I'm not ready to admit that. I read and write very slowly. And so it's when there's something written like that, it's, it's really a, a, a demonstration of the amount of time I've put into something. And so I, I have to hope that it's very worth that time.
0: Yeah. And one day you'll write a book just like Matthew McConaughey.
1: Called Yellow Lights. Yeah. It's called Just Be Careful, Everybody. <laughs> yeah. I wear Wash a your mask. hands. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing this. This was fun. Yeah, this was a good time. If somebody was so taken by our conversation and they didn't already know you, where would you want them to find you? Do you have an Instagram account that you want people following? Do you have, <laughs> well, do you, Do you want people to to friend you on LinkedIn?
0: You should have asked me this three weeks ago. I'm I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus off the social, but for the most part, when I'm back, I will probably go back to Instagram and. It's hopefully a simple handle, S-E for Elizabeth. And then my last name, Marklin, S-E Marklin. See cool. you guys there. Yeah. I, I have a I have a website that I did in college, com, that my current client found and makes fun of me
1: for it all the time. I just found it. There I you will, go. I will hop on that bandwagon <laughs> real quick.
0: Yeah, get those. You're uh,
1: an Apple enthusiast. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got to update that now.
1: Yeah, because I was going to say the fact that I had to walk you through how to share a (laughs) file with me (laughs) to get this voice memo from you, I would expect more from an enthusiast.
0: (laughs) So, what what uh what platform are you publicizing these days for your fans?
1: Uh, My YouTube channel and this podcast itself. Nice. YouTube.com/slash Colonel Sean. Again, if somebody's listening to this podcast, they know. (laughs) they're they're probably related to me but i i would assume that they know how to find me yeah Um, but yeah I, i deleted facebook and instagram completely i'm on linkedin um still and i had i was about to delete it with the justification of i don't earn any money from it like it's not worth the time i put into it because it's just time that never comes back to me but then like four jobs came through it during the pandemic of people like, Hey, we're looking for an editor and we found it. I'm like, Oh, okay. There you go. So I guess. And then the weirdest thing happened. I posted, you should raise your rates. This is just a reminder to myself and to other creative freelancers. Yeah. If you haven't in a while, you should raise your rates. I saw it. And what's that? I saw it. Yeah. It, it went bonkers. It has like 1500 likes. I didn't know that could happen. It is like 200 comments. I didn't know something could go viral on LinkedIn, but it went absolutely bonkers. Holy and crap. Yeah, it it has turned into no money for me at this point. There's been a couple arguments in the comments that I had to delete, because I'm not trying to live that life, but well, per- was, it, was it viral actually viral on LinkedIn.
0: Was it actually a video that supported the headline, or was that a clickbait for like a bathtub
1: tuna video? I mean, everything comes back to bathtub tune at the end of the day. That's that's the hustle.
0: Well, well, back to our our fans. If you've made it this far, that's been a huge commitment. And I I just want to say, first timer podcast here, my heart is melting. So whoever this one person is, we love you.
1: Yeah, somebody somebody's going to listen to three hours of your voice. Yep, and that's and that's a demonstration of love. That is difficult to find elsewhere
0: and if and if you're here friend me on instagram and i'll pay for your jimmy johns and that'll be evidence if anybody made it this far
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make an instagram account just to take you up on that (laughs) well thank you uh thank you for listening thank you shannon for being a part of this and uh i'm excited to figure out what we're going to talk about the next time we do a series like this
0: yeah let's do it again
1: we'll have to grow as people between now and then. So it's not going to be soon for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You got to get a corporate job and I'll quit mine and then we'll reconvene.
1: We should see if we can't just swap places, talk to your boss and just see like, Hey, we're doing a thing for a podcast. Can some guy who knows nothing (laughs) about what we do just sort of be me. I'm just going to give him my email password. He's going to give me a camera so that we can podcast about it. I don't see why they'd say no to that.
0: Yeah. They'll be like, Anything will be better than what we currently have (laughs) with
1: Shannon. (laughs) Fast forward six months, and I'm the CEO. Wow, you just really took to it. He was born for this. That's
0: another thing. Get out of your comfort zone every day. Yeah,
1: A woman yelled that at me today. Really? I was doing a cycling class. I was doing like an exercise class, and she was yelling at me to get out of my comfort zone, and it worked. I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's like that's like my uh i i saw my a couple years ago at a family reunion my my uncle yelled out to me when we were saying goodbye he's like be creative (laughs) was (laughs) the parting words so hey and you
1: remember it this is all fodder for what we were saying before that's right he could have not yelled that but instead he did and look at you you're You're creative now that's right My uncle never yelled that at me. I wonder where I would be right now if he had yelled that. (laughs) We'll never know. I'm calling it. It's been a good time. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. See ya. That was original content from Boom Reactive.